You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season eight, episode four. Jury is a Tokyo-born muralist currently working from Oklahoma City. Her vibrant, figure-driven work fuses traditional Japanese imagery with modern pop motifs. Jury's large-scale murals frequently serve in citywide revitalization efforts and can be seen in cities across America and overseas in Israel. Her realistic watercolor faces, surrounded by cultural elements, patterns, or flora, contain deep personal symbolism and often represent a tenacious attitude of defiance in the face of defeat. Her bold imagery, set upon canvases of brick buildings and urban landscapes, is themed with messages of unexpected courage, hope, and beauty. In a world full of chaos, Jury says, her art is a way to find home. For her, home is a timeless place unaffected by current events, trends, and noise. In this episode, I talk with Jury about her background as a muralist working within varied geographical locations and what it means to step beyond tradition into a sense of timelessness within her art. This is my conversation with muralist Jury. Jury, thank you so much for joining me today on Makers and Mystics. Yes, thank you for having me. Very excited. Now, to start off with, we, we have to go here right off. I know that I am botching the pronunciation of your name. It's a beautiful Japanese name, and I'd love for you just to tell us how it's supposed to be said, because I'm from the South here in America, so that's jury is about as, as close as we're going to get today, but t- set the record straight for our yes, listeners. Okay, so it's actually pronounced jury. so the R is like a, a sound that is between R and D, so it's... It's difficult to explain, but that's my name in Japanese. But my mom was careful to give us all names that are have a similar correlation in English. Mm-hmm. So my English name would be Julie. So everybody that knows me calls me Julie. So Julie or Judy, it's it's the same name. I'm just curious, what does jury mean? Uh, so it's made out of two Japanese kanji characters, and the characters actually mean submit to the truth. Wow. My mom was super proud for thinking of that because it was a kind of an artsy uh, way to use those kanji characters that is not uh, the immediate way you think of. Beautiful. Now, you've lived most of your life in America, is that correct? Yes, since I was six years old. But you still have strong ties to Japanese culture and that impacts and informs your art quite a bit. Is that right? It is, but it's not something I had my whole life. I would say from when I was six to when I was maybe about 17 or so, I didn't really know much about Japan because I didn't pay much attention to it because I was just a child growing up in America in cities where there was almost no Japanese population. So had very little interaction with anything Japanese during those years. And I guess during college, or a little bit before college, my parents sent me to Japan every summer, started doing that, um, sending me to see my grandma. And that's when everything kind of came back to me at that time. 
And at this point, though, a lot of your murals that I've seen pull from Japanese art and Japanese heritage. Is that right? It is. And during college, we, for some reason, it was a small college in Oklahoma, but we had so many Japanese exchange students there. And that's how I really practiced speaking Japanese again. I would mostly hang out with them. And it, it all came back to me very easily. Um, I have a really good memory from when I was little in Japan. So all those things I also have never left my memory. And yeah, the, it seems like the more I research about Japanese art and culture and、uh, traditional crafts, the more it just kind of makes sense to me. It sinks into my being, it just feels like it was meant to be. One thing I'm always interested in talking about with artists of different disciplines is the relationship between tradition and innovation.、Mm-hmm. And when I see your work, I, I see those two elements coming together beautifully. I mean, they're, they're very traditional elements that I recognize in your artwork, in your murals, in your visual art. But then also, there's such a modern feel to it, such an innovative quality to it. Can you speak some? About how tradition and innovation work together in your art? Yeah, I can. I'm just curious, which elements do you think are traditional or modern in my art? Because sometimes doing it myself, I have no idea anymore. So I wondered what other people think. Well, I'm recognizing specifically some of what looks like to me the kabuki. Actors or、mm-hmm. some of the Japanese figures and some of the traditional Japanese imagery in particular. But then, what, what comes across as modern to me would be some of your color choices. Oh, yes. That was my guess, also. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I guessed correctly. Sometimes、right. I, do, I do really enjoy Japanese colors because their color schemes are traditionally much more muted. And subdued colors. So when I go to Japan, I take note of all the wonderful color schemes I see there. But then I do really love very bright color because I'm also very influenced by fashion that I've seen here, Western fashion, and very、uh, avant garde colors and patterns and things. So for your original question, I would say that I don't artificially try to interpret. Traditional themes in a modern way. I know that's the focus of some people's art where they juxtapose it on purpose to be a bit jarring to make a statement or something like that. So I'm not trying to do that and I'm not trying to change tradition or anything. It's just that due to the fact that I didn't grow up in Japan for most of my life, I am sometimes am looking at these things as an outsider. So what I'm painting ends up being like my honest. Wondering interpretation or like the way I see those traditional elements.、Mm-hmm. And with no, like, I'm not trying to act like I understand the traditional ways fully because I don't. I'm just bringing my own colors and my own understanding and my own、um, posing that perhaps is derived from more modern music videos and fashion photography, things like that. So it's more of an individual take. Yes, yes, you're exactly right. It's my take on my traditional culture and things that I'm still learning about as well. And some of the things I remember from before and some of the things I'm relearning, there's just endless things to learn about Japan because it's a very old country. So it's, it seems like a never ending task, but it's very lovely. I'd be curious to know because you've, you've spent some time in New York City, and I think you told me you're now in Oklahoma City.、Mm-hmm. But then you've also done a lot of traveling. You've been to Japan, as you said,、mm-hmm. as a child, several summers. How do these different environments 
find their way into your work? Do they influence your work? And I know with some of your murals, you also do that in different cities across the country. Is that right? Yes. So for my murals, I usually paint for different client projects or festivals, and they're in different cities in the U.S. Um, I have a little map on my murals page on my website where you can see all the different cities where I have murals. And I've been painting in Israel twice. I would say that travel is one of the main things that affects my art. Uh, going home to Japan definitely affects it. Um, so I used to go back every summer when I was a teenager and then all through college. And then now as an adult, I also try to go back every year or a year and a half to see my sisters and my grandmother and my relatives there. So I, uh, yeah, I would say every new place I travel adds a slice to my brain that wasn't there before. And I feel like it's in wisdom and knowledge about like how things work in the world and how people are really not that different. Everyone has a similar nature. And then also themes in art. And I don't know, it holistically helps me to be more clear about what I'm trying to paint. Well, one mural in particular that really catches my eye from your website that I wanted to ask you about, it's one titled Life Triumphs Over Death. Yes. I would love to talk about that some, and, and I'll put an image of this with your permission up on the podcast and on our Instagram at Makers and Mystics for the listeners to see what we're talking about here. But this image was so striking to me because it's a beautiful Japanese woman who in the face, there's so much expression on her face. It's both beauty and delicacy, but then there's also, you know, she's holding up her fists. And so there's this, there's this contrast between strength and fragility, maybe. I'm not sure, but I'd, I'd love for you to, to tell us some about that image. Yay. Thank you for picking an image where I work the hardest to <laughs> put symbolism <laughs> into it. So it's like I do this for all my murals. <laughs> but Great. yeah, thank you for your insights into it. That's precisely what I was going for. A lot of my work is driven by paradoxes from Japan. I think Japan is probably the most paradoxical country there is, because I would say that we're both very weak people and very strong, like some of the weakest and strongest people at the same time. Where we, are, we don't like confrontation, we don't like fighting, we hate arguments, we could never argue or haggle for a price to save our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we're very strong in withstanding natural disasters or any types of problems or misery. Uh, Japanese generally think that if you wait it out, it will pass. So they're very steadfast in that way. So that was kind of my inspiration for that piece. And um, I painted it in a city called Lynn uh, near Boston. And they have, uh, the city's beginning to turn around, but they also have a very high rate of substance abuse and deaths related to substance abuse and homelessness and things like that. So that's why I kind of wanted to paint that declaration over the city as you can be weak, you can be fragile, but you need to be able to, to fight for your life or for people that you love. So a strength inside weakness or a weakness inside strength. In the mural, the figure is also 
wrapped, her arm is also wrapped in a red ribbon. Mm-hmm. Does it say, it says life. It looks like it says life. I don't know if that was yeah, intended or not. It is intentional, but you, you're such a good interpreter of my art <laughs> because I was trying to make it kind of mysterious. So people would look and say, wait, is that, does that say something? Is that a word? Mm-hmm. And where the windows happen to be on that building also make it a bit harder to actually see if it has a word on it. Yeah. That's why the title is Life Triumphs Over Death. And the way the ribbon is wrapped around her was inspired by me going to Israel and watching Orthodox Jews wrap tefillin, the prayer for prayer in the mornings. And the way it's wrapped on her middle finger is kind of harkens back to that. So using the ribbon and the wrapping as a symbol of prayer, I wanted that to be my prayer for that city was would be that they would return to life. It also reminds me slightly of the Red Thread of Destiny, which if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, is also a Japanese concept. Is that right? I've seen it quite often in Japanese old woodblock prints and old paintings, especially with uh, hawks and eagles, and it is very eye-catching. But I think it might be something that's through several cultures. It's also in the Bible, this Red Thread, which I think is very interesting because you know the story in the Old Testament where this one, I can't remember the baby's names, but one twin stuck his hand out and then pulled it back in. Yes. So the midwife put a red thread on his wrist and said he was firstborn, but he pulled his hand back in. And then the red thread goes to Rahab putting the red rope out her window. Mm-hmm. And then hmm, it continues on to something else in the New Testament, which if I was super smart, I would remember all of it right now. But <laughs> <laughs> that it, I do have the red thread written down and my ideas to explore for future paintings. Yes, yes. Well, that concept's been something close to me in my own creative pursuit. And it looks like it. it Very is East cool. Asian. It mm-hmm. is East Asian, but I believe it originated in China. Oh, okay. Very cool. Uh, And that's another thing that I think is cool. The more I travel and learn about other cultures, lots of the folklore are similar. Very much. Lots of the ancient traditions are very similar uh, things that are common to humanity. So I think this is also a very valuable and interesting thing to ponder. Well, one thing that I notice in your work that I'd love to talk with you about is even though as we've been talking, there are certain more ancient traditional hints or intimations in your work. And then there's also very innovative concepts within your work. But through it all, it has such a sense of timelessness to it. I sense that it's not bound by current events, though it can speak into current events. You know, it does it. It's not trendy, but it speaks into the modern conscience. And I would, I don't know if that's an unconscious thing in your work or if that's something intentional to speak into the current culture while not being underneath it, if that makes sense. Yeah, you described it so beautifully. That's such a nice thing for you to say. It's wonderful. Um, I think at different times, I feel different ways. Sometimes, like this piece that we were just discussing, it had to do with the city, the current state of the city that I was painting in. I don't discuss any current or political or news themes in my art too much. The only time I do is when it's to work something out within myself, like what I'm trying to make of this situation. But I do try to separate my art from current events and politics, especially. Uh, Some people love to infuse that into their work, and some people that's what their work is. But for me, I need that solace away from that. And these days, it seems like there's almost no such thing as a place that's not touched by current events or politics. 
So I really wanted to these days more and more retreat into the timelessness of tradition in Japan in such an old country that's been through a lot of these problems that we're having right now. Just by being such an old country. So yes, it is a bit of a solace for me. Just hearing you say that is a solace for me. Just <laughs> Oh, it is? <laughs> Yay, thank you. No, <laughs> that it, makes it, me happy. It, it really is. It really is. And I mean, that that is a core value within our community and really to provide a safe haven from some mm-hmm. of the, the chaos and some of the difficult things happening. Yeah, I think that's such a valuable place because I think, I guess, since we're humans or sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own affairs. We only, we have a very small spectrum. We look so closely at events as if it's something very spectacular or very wrong or terrible or crazy without taking the broader view that throughout history, this happens often. And this happens in many places and it's happening right now in other places. And I think part of the value of faith and the Bible is that how timeless it is and that the God that we believe in, he sits outside of time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a little bit of the reflection of his heart also to step back a little bit and perhaps have a broader view of everything. Well, what we're talking about goes into a part of your biography that I read on your website, but I'd I'd love just to make mention of it and maybe elaborate on this idea a little bit. But you talked about how your art making is a way for you to find home and Mm -hmm. to navigate your way through a world of chaos to a place of solace. Tell me more about how your art helps you find home and navigate away from the chaos of the modern world. Yes, I think um, I do miss Japan a lot. And with varying circumstances, I'm not able to move back there at the moment. My three sisters have moved back there. And my grandmother, who's very dear to me, lives there right now. So I've always grown up with a sense, I guess, after college of really, really missing Japan and really wanting to go back and more and more seeing how I don't really fit into the Western mindset that much. Mm-hmm. And... I think more and more these days as what's expected of people has become more defined, I see that I really don't fit into that. And the reason is because in Japan we approach things so much differently. So I don't quite feel home here. So the only time that I can get close to home or close to the feeling of Japan, not even so much the physical Japan, but the feeling of Japan and the feeling of the nostalgia and my childhood there is when I paint. So that'd be the reason because I keep asking myself, why, why do I do this? Why do I do art? Because sometimes it's not profitable, you know, (laughs) (laughs) with artistic things, it's not, it's all not always to make money at all. So, and I keep coming back to that is that I need a way to be able to see home or to find home. Well, so long as you're in the West, I think we could all benefit from the spirit in your work and what you're doing in the work oh, that you're thank making. thank you so yes. much. Yes. That makes me happy. I just, I, it sounds kind of selfish when I say I just mostly paint for myself <laughs> <laughs> to be able to uh, make me feel home and stuff. But it also makes me very happy when other people say that they feel a solace or a peace or that it helps them come to terms with something else in their life. Mm-hmm. It makes me so happy when other people can see their struggles inside my paintings. Mm-hmm. But that also makes sense because, like I said before, all humans are not that different. We all have the similar needs and desires on the inside. 
Well, one question that comes to mind that I'd love to ask you, the work that you do with murals, most of this is really large scale. It's on the side of buildings. It's, it's a very public form of art. It's not like yes. reading poetry where I can grab a book off of my shelf and it's, it's a very private individual encounter with the art. But what you're doing speaks to hundreds, possibly thousands of people driving by each day mm -hmm. with, you know, all these, some similar, some different experiences. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering how much that plays into your visual metaphors or your colors, or you even mentioned earlier how that one particular piece, Life Triumphs Over Death, how that spoke to the condition of the city itself, some of the challenges that the city is going through. Uh -huh. How much does this large scale, very public form of your art, how does that play into your decisions when you're, when you're creating the images? Uh, well, it sometimes it affects it in some very artistic, artsy sounding ways, like uh, the concepts I'd like to be appropriate to the region and the colors I'd like to be appropriate to the region. And um, I want the image to be something striking and not too confusing to people, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. because it is public art. So we can't do anything that is that would uh, cause distress or cause offense to people, which I don't think I would paint that anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, And then also some non-artistic, just practical things that it should be bright or colorful. It should, it needs to be a certain size on the wall that it is so that it's visible from a certain distance or I need to paint the face on one side and not the other because there's power lines, things like that, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that are more boring considerations. Mm -hmm. But I do try to make each piece somehow fit the area because sometimes muralists run into tension with uh, residents and then local artists kind of wondering why someone from the outside needed to come here and paint such a big statement in their city. So I try to be always aware of that and respectful of that and realize that I'm a guest in their house painting. Mm. So what I want to say uh, by myself when I'm on my own may not be the priority. It might be something better if it were had them in mind or their situation in mind or their environment or the plants, the local plants or colors in mind. And to f kind of fit in with the rest of the town also. I don't, it's not, never my goal to make something super jarring. Right. Or extremely attention getting just to get attention. It's not my goal ever. Mm -hmm. So you, in a sense, you collaborate with the city when you go into these places. I do. I do collaborate with the city or I try to. And I also have to collaborate with the weather, the ind individual weather of every single place that I paint because the weather affects it greatly too. Well, this question goes more into the metaphysical or the spiritual side of your art making. But as you were talking, it just made me think how your work is at once universal. It has to be somewhat universal or broad, like we were discussing, but at the same time, personal to mm -hmm. whether it's individuals or a city. I love that idea. And I think some of the best art is that which can take the universal and make it personal and then take the personal and make it universal. Whoa, that's very deep thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think so deeply. <laughs> <laughs> that may be an unconscious thing, but I see that. And, and that to me 
is a very spiritual quality when when something universal can be made personal and then when something personal can be made universal i i see a very spiritual quality into that yeah maybe so that would probably be more unintentional though Mm -hmm. a lot of the times i'm a very quiet person i'm a pretty private person Mm -hmm. i don't usually have loud opinions or i don't have something to say almost ever if i'm in a group because i'm just thinking and listening Mm -hmm. so like I said before, I don't try to make huge statements with my work or any uh, type of grand statements. But perhaps because I'm thinking of grand things, perhaps sometimes that comes out. Justin, talking about some of the spiritual underpinnings of your work, I'd love to know how your own spirituality or how your own spiritual path influences the work that you do. I think it's a a path that is a little bit hard to navigate and can be confusing at times. I never wanted to consider myself as a Christian artist or anything like that because I think we're probably about a similar age, but I think we've all grown up with this cheesiest Christian art you can imagine. <laughs> right. I think we know all know the ones. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so I think it's quite a recent phenomenon that Christians and then people um, who want to feature their faith have gone away from stereotypes or stereotypical things you must paint and delve deeply into the scriptures and just pulled from it truly what is interesting to them or very worth pondering to them. I think that's a recent thing. So I don't really know if I'm doing it right or if I'm doing it well. I did have an interview one time I was painting in Israel with a filmmaker and he was doing a series called Holy Art. So I have an episode of mine that's in Holy Art. So then I thought, well, maybe it is Holy Art. (laughs) So then I started, that's when I first started to even consider that. But mostly it's just me putting themes into my work that I'm pondering at the moment. Mm -hmm. Or something, a story I read from folklore even, and then maybe something that is similar to something that's in the Bible. Or even a verse that strikes me in an interesting way. So it's mostly just my own ponderings and my own musings. I'm more thinking and presenting questions rather than giving answers, I think. One thing that I was really curious to ask you about, because I think we have, I think I learned this about you, that we have a shared interest in kabuki theater and in the kabuki actors, you know? That's so crazy. (laughs) Wait, I want to know your level of kabuki interest because I've never heard a Western person saying this like out of the blue. Sure. (laughs) So tell me. (laughs) Well, you know, I, and and this is going to be revealing if I put this segment on the podcast, but in high school, I won several Best Actors Awards. And, and so theater and uh, drama was a big part of my background. And I so, see. yes. And so I studied a lot of theater, the absurd. And then that also led me to kabuki theater. And mm-hmm. so for me, a lot of my interest was the costumes as well yes. as the music and choreography. I see. That's a great reason to like it. That's so <laughs> nice. There are all these interesting web videos of the prop house that makes all the costumes for the Kabuki Theater. And um, those are great videos. I love watching how they have made these costumes. It's much more extensive than anyone might ever imagine. It's so complicated. Yes, the I'm costumes sure. like weigh so much, and there's so many layers. I think some of them even have like air conditioner inside it because it's too hot <laughs> to wear. <laughs> oh, wow! 
<laughs> so all those things are so interesting. I can't remember. Did you ask me a question? <laughs> yes. How does Kabuki theater inspire your work? Um, Kabuki is something that I've only discovered recently, truly. I've known about some of the actors for a long time because in Japan we have our channel NHK, which is like BBC, I guess, or PBS here. And every year they have a historical drama that runs all year. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because it's historical, but they usually have modern actors and things like that. So often the actors in there are kabuki actors because they're familiar with period acting. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew about kabuki for a long time because I love those dramas, but I hadn't looked into it until a few years ago, I guess. And then I was able to attend my first play in January this year, and I got to sit super close. I thought if I'm going to go there, I might as well splurge all my money and get a ticket like super close to the stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was the best decision ever. Um, I think just the timelessness, like we're talking about the timelessness of the stories that they have. These plays have been much mostly performed the same way for hundreds of years. So it's very unchanging in that way and very constant, I guess, like an anchor. And it's a national treasure we have in Japan, the Kabuki Theater. So, and I guess it is just a different world. It's almost like a Narnia of Japan where you enter and then you don't, you don't come out to the real world for a while. (laughs) I love it. So those things make me really intrigued with it. And I do feel closer to home when I'm reading up on those things and studying because once again there's so many things to study and learn ah, it's just endless learning but i love reading all the plays and learning about different ones yes and i don't know about this for you but i love how digesting different forms of art play into the creation of my own art you know and yes. so Mm-hmm. I think so, because a lot of your music, I heard some of it, is kind of experimental, isn't it? Very much. Yeah, I love that. I love how you're pulling in like influences from other things and maybe instruments that people wouldn't think of. I think for me as an artist, it's like that, even though the theater, the kabuki theater, is a different type of art, uh, performing arts. It's still... It's still nurtures the right type of mood that's conducive to me making my best work, I think might be a good way to say it. Beautiful. One thing I'd love to ask you about, I know that you have traveled to Israel and you have painted some of your murals there. And one in particular that I found striking is one that you titled, Fear Not, I Have Called You By Name. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me some about this and and what your experience painting in Israel near the Lebanon border wall? Tell me, tell me about your experience there. Yes. Well, actually, the interesting thing is that actually is a border wall of Lebanon there. So on the other side, it's pretty much Lebanon. And that wall was actually erected not as an actual border or anything, but as a barrier against rocket fire, because that city, that town there, that agricultural town, would often have rocket fire from Hezbollah. So I was able to go over there with a great program called Artists for Israel. They bring muralists and tattoo artists, actually, to Israel to uh, learn more about the country. But it was an amazing experience. I just wanted to paint an expression of peace on the wall there, something beautiful. And it's also taken from the story of Elisha and his servant when the city was surrounded by the Arameans, I believe. And he asked God to open the servant's eyes and he saw the chariots of fire all around. So that's the inspiration for that mural. 
And um, I think somebody in the city said that he um, he really appreciates the mural and he sees it as a prayer on the wall. Wow, I love that. So I thought that was that was the best thing yes. that someone had said to me. I thought, hey, okay, I'm going to have to use that from now on. I guess it's a prayer on the wall for safety. I love that. So I don't know, just going to Israel really added another slice to my brain because I said before that each time I travel I get a new slice in my brain for art and for thinking so Israel was a really big slice to more understand the roots I guess of Christianity or my faith understand better about Judaism and those elements from such an old ancient religion Amazingly, in Japan, our religion, Shintoism, has a lot of elements that are a little bit similar to Judaism, such as like the search for purity and the search for holiness and the recognition that God and man cannot stand in the same place, things like that, um, which I think is very interesting. So it's helped me ponder more deeply into my own country, but it seems like Israel was the door to help me kind of start pondering those things. And I may have never thought about it being only in America. And I still can't even think of how to express properly how much it's affected my mind to be able to paint there. It's an ongoing thing. It's a developing thing. Well, I want to put an image of that on our Instagram and on the Makers and Mystics website for everyone to see as well. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous image. And I love the idea of this being a visual prayer. Yes, thank you very much. And oh yeah, I forgot to say it was interesting painting that piece because um, we were so close to Lebanon and so close to the Hezbollah-controlled territory that when I when I was at the top of the wall, there were holes in the wall for, I'm not sure what, for airflow or something, I'm not sure what they're for, but when I had my ear by the hole, I could hear the call to prayer from coming from Lebanon. So that was kind of a surreal moment because like one ear I'm in Israel and my other ear can hear the call to prayer from Lebanon right there. Wow. So that was very, very surreal and interesting. Yes, I'm sure. Well, Jury, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics today. I love your work. I'm a new fan. And Yay, thank you. <laughs> yes, I've <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm always so mystified whenever people say, I found your work. I just think, how'd you find it? How does anyone know or care? So thank you very much. I'm very honored. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. You can find images of the murals discussed in this episode on our Instagram at Makers and Mystics. Music for this episode is provided by Celise and Songs of Water. You can find links to this music and further explore Jury's artwork in the show notes of this episode. If you'd like to support the production of these podcasts or to join our creative collective where we host regular book clubs, online discussions, and offer additional patron-only content, you can find us at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. <laughs>